Hello and welcome to episode 1100 of Effectively Wild. Oh my gosh, 1100. <laughs> I screwed it up already. 100, that's 100 more than 1,000. <laughs> Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs presented by our Patreon supporters. I am Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined by Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs. Hello, Jeff. Hello. And that man you just heard a moment ago, Sam Miller, who has been absent for a, a full hundred episodes now, and now he's back. Actually, that's not true. You did a, a guest episode once, unannounced. But we are all gathered around Jeff Sullivan's living room table in Portland after our Eclipse event, and we figured instead of going to sleep like we all want to, we will do a <laughs> impromptu podcast for the people, because we're all here in one place for the first time ever, and hopefully not the last. Did you guys enjoy the Eclipse? It was legitimately more stirring than I thought it was going to be. I I tried to psych myself up, and this is of course referring to the eclipse itself, the uh, the astronomical phenomenon. And I had read several articles about people describing it as psychedelic and life changing, and I tried to get myself hyped up. And when uh, when it actually went to totality, I kind of felt a little a uh, little happy shiver. Mm-hmm. It was good. It was a uh, it exceeded my expectations, and all I had to do to see it was sleep behind uh, a Best Western hotel <laughs> in the shrubs. In the among yeah. among among the shrubs, well, someone watching you from the distance. Just a, just a casual smoking man at two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> who we theorized was possibly an effectively wild listener who was just afraid to say hello. But we met a lot of listeners at the event, and it was great. And the traffic was non-existent on the way, so we started super early to get there and give everyone's tickets out, and turned out we got there in even less time than one typically gets from Portland to Salem, although we had to sit in traffic for four hours on the way back, which is a, a different story that maybe we'll tell in a moment. But I was impressed by the eclipse. I was very eager to see the eclipse, but even so, I think I was more impressed than I expected to be, and I talked to a, a senior veteran NASA guy who was at the game. This is the Salem Kaiser Volcanoes for anyone who has not been following our eclipse event story, and he said he was in tears. It was his first eclipse ever also, and he knew exactly what to expect, but the reality of it was too much for him. Sam? I thought it was rad. I uh, didn't expect to be that impressed, and I thought that I I thought I would be fairly impressed if I stayed in Long Beach and watched like the seventy percent version, and that I would be like not much more than fairly impressed if I came up here and saw the totality. And uh, seeing what like it looked like at ninety five percent, and seeing what the world looked like at ninety five percent, I now see that it is totally inconsequential and i would never have noticed it in a million years and this was really impressive Mm -hmm. so i liked it yeah it's astonishing when you know you're at 90 95 percent and you realize how little of the sun we actually need yeah yeah we could do do with a lot less it was so bright like until it was at least 70 percent covered you couldn't tell any difference whatsoever and we all used our eclipse glasses in case anyone is wondering if we were squinting up there like certain others did. But we were all impressed, and I found out after the game that were there were plenty of prospects on these teams. Neither of us was aware of. We, we weren't really paying that much attention to the baseball game because we were staring at the sky most of the time, and then after the eclipse, applying sunscreen so that the reappeared sun did not burn me, which tends to happen. So on our way back, we were planning on possibly doing a podcast in the car but it devolved or evolved into a, a four-hour karaoke session of the hits of the 90s, which maybe some of you would like to listen to, but we didn't record it. Your highways in Portland are very loud 
as you informed me, something about the surface is loud. So it was not an ideal recording situation. Uh, although there was a, there was no audio recording, but there was a photographic recording of Sam Miller outside of our car. <laughs> so uh, for, for any of you who are members of the Effectively Wild Facebook group, you can see a picture of Sam Miller jogging in, uh, in a black hoodie in 94 degree weather with a fistful of blackberries. So yeah, this, I mean, the story though is, is pretty simple. Like, there's blackberries everywhere in Oregon. Just like the highways are completely flanked by mature blackberry plants that are at full ripeness right now and we were we took what about five hours to drive about 50 miles is that right Mm -hmm. Uh, and much of that like probably we took three and a half hours to drive 15 miles and a lot of that time was just stopped and looking at blackberries Uh, (laughs) and i i just hate to see blackberries go to waste there's such a rarity like a a ripe blackberry off a a vine is just a good gold right and these these were like falling off the vine they were so ripe it was the end of the season so anyway i was eating some (laughs) (laughs) and then you got left behind (laughs) i would have yeah i i did it a couple times and uh the second time jesse ben's uh ben's fiance jesse used the analogy previous to this uh unfortunate uh separation of uh, the voyage of the Don Treader, where there's a uh, there's a river where if you dip something in gold, I uh, sorry, if you dip something in the river, it turns into gold, and people uh, just constantly keep saying like, oh, well, just one more thing, and then I'll leave one more thing, but you can't tear yourself away from this thing that turns ordinary things into gold, and so they die. And blackberry plants are somewhat like that. There are so many, and the next one is always bigger, softer, and more. <laughs> Uh, at risk of being missed by this world. And so I picked a few too many, and I was just casually walking to catch up, and I kept getting about three three cars away, and then traffic would pick up a little, and uh, eventually I was in danger of death. I had fallen asleep, and I woke up to a, a panting, sweaty Sam Miller re-entering the car. Yeah, the last, uh, the last quarter mile was done at... Roughly a full sprint. <laughs> with, uh, with your usual black hoodie and long pants and corduroys, the usual yeah. stompers outfit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been it's been photo documented by uh oh what was uh, I don't know the name the name of the, Ethan Hart. Yeah. Who, Ethan Hart. Who this is the thing. I uh this guy pulls up and he's like, You wanna ride? <laughs> Which is unusual. And I thought that guy definitely looks like he was at our game but like you're in a you're on a freeway 30 miles like you're on a completely packed completely packed freeway 30 miles from this event and you know he also just looks like a guy in Oregon and so I thought I didn't think anything of it I said oh thank you but my car's right up there and he kept passing me and I kept waving (laughs) <laughs> and uh took photos <laughs> yeah this is a, a surprise to all of us but a pleasant surprise at least for me and, and jeff i don't know about sam so we don't really know what's going on in, in baseball today because we were occupied with the eclipse and we weren't really planning to record this but my flight is delayed by many hours so we have some time and we figured we would talk about something that sam just wrote because I think it is his self-professed favorite article, or it was as he was in the process of writing it, and hopefully it turned out to be. It's been a big hit, and it started with a, an effectively wild listener's email, right? So 
feels right that we should uh, discuss it here. So for anyone who hasn't read it, which from the sound of it is not a lot of people, <laughs> we, uh, we should summarize what this article was about. Yeah, so the background of this story is that about a year ago, uh, I was watching a highlight of a Mariners, I think they turned a triple play in 2015. And this was a play that involved a couple of rundowns. And while I was watching it, something just triggered in my brain where it was like, this is taking too long. This is not, baseball plays don't take this long. And so I timed it and it was something like 20 seconds. And I thought that might be the longest play ever. And so I um, started putting out calls, asking people for long plays. And I wrote some of them up and, and I was sort of toying with the idea of what the physical maximum possibility of a baseball play is because you can really, mostly you can really only do one thing as a runner, which is run towards home plate. And it only takes about 15 seconds to run towards home plate. And so even accounting for rundowns, there's not that much you can do before there's no more play left. So I I think I got up to like 29 seconds and we talked about it on this podcast last summer and I got an email from a guy named Dan Bracey who's like, uh, yeah, two and a half minutes. I was in a play that was two and a half minutes. (laughs) And uh, I don't remember exactly how Ben and I responded, but we both responded quickly, like, tell us more. And he explained the nature of this play and I said, I'm I'm writing about this, which is what sometimes Ben and I will reply to emailers so that the other one can't write about it. And once I did that, I knew he couldn't do it anymore. And so I, I didn't do it for a while, but I, I always knew I was going to write about this play because a lot of things were really interesting about it. But the main thing is that this was a play I'd never heard of, which is where the, uh, the base runner is on first base and another base runner is on third base. And the guy on first runs into right field and like way, like he can run way into right field if he wants to and just stops. And that's the play. <laughs> and from that point on, almost anything can happen. And and so they, uh, there was a team that did this in the biggest moment of their lives, uh, and everything went crazy after mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So what were the responses like? Because I saw from some people were saying, like, why didn't they just do this? Why didn't they just do Like, why didn't he just pitch? So, yeah, so the background, is, first of all, everybody who was involved in this play remembers it slightly different. And so there was a little bit of Rashomon thing going on where uh, everybody was really speculating about how they everybody else felt, but they knew exactly how they felt, which was like like a lot of anxiety, a lot of like tension, more tension than they can really remember in any other play, confusion, some anger, some fear even because the crowd started to get really aggressive and screaming at each other and screaming at the coach. But basically the nuts and bolts are that we can piece together from from both the recollections of the people involved, but also the two and a half minute radio clip that Dan's dad had of the play uh, where we hear uh, the broadcaster you know telling it as it's happening the runner on first john pedrotti who is a sophomore uh, he would go on to become like a team captain as a senior the quarterback of the school football team he played professionally he was drafted should uh, we say where this was or what this yeah school sorry was yeah or? this yeah. was in rhode island it was the rhode island state championships in 2006 and it was game two in the sixth inning of a seven inning game in a two to nothing game uh, so everything was very tense and the team that was on the bases was the team that was leading so they were trying to squeeze out an extra run and they had their number nine hitter up and he fell behind 0-2 in the count. And 
they were facing a, a really good pitcher, so it was just really unlikely that that he was going to get a hit to drive in the run, and so the, the coach called for this play. So uh, I forget exactly where I was in the story, but John Pedrotti at the time was not the quarterback. He was not the team captain. He was just a sophomore. He was the youngest player on the team, had kind of grown into a, a role as a starting right fielder, but was still just a kid compared to his teammates. And so he gets this sign from his coach, and He's not totally sure he saw it right. He's sort of scared that he uh, maybe saw it wrong and he's about to do the most embarrassing thing possible. Uh, But that's a pretty clear sign and he thinks he saw it. And so he just, uh, while, while the pitcher is on the mound, John Pedrotti just runs out into shallow right field and stops. And... Um, so the goal of this play is to get the pitcher to balk. That's the first goal. Is the pitcher going to freak out because the guy is not supposed to take off when he's still on the mound? This is a, that's actually a, a somewhat common play in high school with first and third where the runner just takes off super early in the hopes that the pitcher will balk when everybody yells, ah, right? <laughs> and so they practice this a lot. High school defenses practice this a lot. And so the team in, in question, the East Greenwich Avengers, would practice this. And the standard protocol is if someone takes off, the coach or somebody on the field yells, ice. And that means step off. Just step off before you do anything. But in this case, the guy didn't take off. He <laughs> took off into right field. <laughs> And so then the, if he doesn't balk, the second goal is that someone will chase him out there. It's totally legal for him to be out there because until a tag is attempted on you, there is no baseline. Baseline does not exist. If you wanted, you could walk over and, uh, you know, and order a hot dog, right? Like the field is, is yours to play with until the defense is trying to pursue you, at which point the baseline is wherever you are, a straight line from that point to the base that you're going after. So since nobody was trying to tag him, he could go anywhere. So he goes into right field and the goal is that someone will chase him and in chasing him, they will go far enough away that the runner on third can get home. And if he goes home, then the defender has to sort of spin and throw. Maybe he's off balance. Maybe he's way deep. Uh, Maybe he has thrown the ball to another fielder. And so there's all this uh, opening for the guy on third to score because high school players aren't totally capable of making two, you know, throws in a row or, or that long throw. So those are basically the two ways that this is going to work. Well, the problem is that like Dan Bracey, the pitcher for East Greenwich, does not balk and does not throw and is not going to throw and decides that he's not going to get tricked into going after him. And so his only defense is to stand there holding the ball. And the runner, Johnny Pedrotti's only weapon at this point is to stand there being kind of more and more out of place hoping that he will tempt the defense into doing something. And so they stare at each other for a really long time. And so technically nothing is happening at this point. Everybody is, well, the ball is being held and the runner is not advancing, but the play is live. Dan Bracey tries to call timeout and the umpire says, you can't call timeout. And so he has to do something. And in a way, I guess I'll just skip to the ending, which is, to say that this didn't work, like the defense never did go after him, two and a half minutes pass and then he goes back to first base. And so it is the it is both like an obscenely long play and also a complete nothing play, nothing happened. There's no record of it even in the box score because he, he didn't advance, he didn't try to steal. He just took a long lead, right, really, <laughs> long enough that the umpire decided a thing was happening, but otherwise nothing happened. But he kind of came close, like 
he really did send the defense into like varying degrees of hysterics where uh, some of the defenders were sort of like running around trying to like counter trick the runner <laughs> and the you know like the pitcher Dan Bracey was like sort of really getting flustered because so many people were yelling at him uh, and he finally gave the ball to the second baseman and one of his good friends Matt Streich who doesn't even remember getting the ball because he <laughs> says he blacked out <laughs> and so again the goal is like that you'll get the defense to do something stupid. And the defense did not do something stupid, but they came really close. And Matt Streich says that if he tried to throw the ball home, he would have airmailed it into the stands. He was so nervous and his palms were so sweaty that he never would have been able to get a throw off. And the runners didn't know this. If they had, they might have just taken off. We might have actually seen this play uh, go further and be tested. But as it was, nobody quite knew uh, what everybody else was thinking. They were in such undefined territory that they didn't know you know what they could get away with so anyway uh, eventually uh, johnny pedrotti gives up and goes back to first and that was the end of the play (laughs) (laughs) so the title uh, of the article was the longest had to do with the longest play ever in uh in baseball and as you mentioned, it was it was sort of a very exciting play or a complete nothing play, and then and there's no record. So to get into the semantics a little bit, is it is it a play? Does it become a play when Bracey hands the ball to Streich? What is this as an event on a baseball field? I had a really long conversation with my wife about this because she was also like she was trying to figure out what a play is, and I had to decide what a play is, and. I decided that a, you are engaged in a play if you can't call timeout. Because if, if if the umpire decides that somebody is either at risk or advancing, like one of those two things, if he's advancing, the defense can't call timeout. If he's at risk, the offense can't call timeout. And so that's a play. A play is basically the time between which you can call timeout to the next time you can call timeout. And everything in between, the umpire is saying, like, play on. And so if you take a lead and the pitcher's on the mound, he can call timeout, and the catcher can come out and visit him. And they, they tried to call timeout, and Dan Bracey, the pitcher, went to the umpire. He's like, why can't I call timeout? He's just taking a lead. And the umpire, in his discretion, decided that was not a lead. Like, a lead is not <laughs> 55 feet out <laughs> in right field or whatever. Like, he was, he was arguably further away from first base than second base is maybe <laughs> possibly so it wasn't a like it wasn't a lead exactly and so so something was happening where he was both in potentially advancing and potentially at risk and so that's why I decided it's a play if you if you had a record kept of this play would it just read pickoff attempt pitcher to second i don't even think it would be would it be pickoff attempt if you were forced to keep a record of what happened in a way that's different from writing a long-form article about it on espn.com <laughs> yeah what would you how what would you do that's a good question i guess you would are there other throws that don't get recorded in any way like if you catch the ball as the left fielder and then you throw it into you second cut off Man, yeah, the that, relay where there's does, no play. Yeah. Does that throw get recorded? Like, the play is F7. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think the who fields it on its way in if there's no out recorded. Right. Or, yeah. No, that's that's lost to history. I guess I'm thinking, like, if this were recorded on game day, you know, it'll say, like, pickoff attempt between uh-huh. pitches. Yeah. So probably that. Or, yeah, probably that. <laughs> Sometimes it just says, like, delay of 
game, right? It just says delay. Maybe maybe a play is just a delay. Injury delay, mental <laughs> insanity. Yeah. What should Dan Bracey have done? I mean, it's hard to say, confronted with this wacky play that has never occurred and may never occur again, that he should have done anything in that moment. But what would be the optimal response? So what the coach wanted him to do was to was what he ultimately did do, which is to give it to the second baseman, who theoretically has the best arm in the infield on this team, and who can basically just stand at second base, stare at the guy on third, (laughs) and wait for Johnny Pedrotti to get bored. And what Dan's dad is yelling during this whole thing is, which I think is the right answer, and I think Dan agrees uh, that this is the right answer, is that he should have just gone back to the mound and pitched, which is one of the sort of great fun paradoxes of this situation is that this play and a lot of high school trick plays are based on the idea that a runner on first in a first and third situation is more valuable than a runner on second in a second and third situation because there's all these trick plays including you know this in which the first baseman is sort of like a tease a way of trying to um, distract the defense so there's a lot of you know, first and third steals. We all remember that from Little League, where you're sort of hoping the catch will throw down. But there's also like various walk-off steals or like short steals where you run halfway, you try to get into a pickoff. And Johnny Pedrotti didn't want to be on second base. He didn't go to second base. The funny thing is that when he decided to give up, he went to first. (laughs) And partly that's because like the ball was a lot closer to second. And maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe Matt Streich would have um, gone over and like stood there. But he wasn't. Matt, the ball was not on second base. The ball was behind the mound. They practiced a lot of these plays. And and Dan Bracey, the pitcher, recalls, he thinks that if, if like Johnny had stolen, for instance, on the same pitch, they wouldn't have thrown down. They would have given him like you don't throw down on a first and third in high school especially with two outs and the number nine hitter up in an 0-2 count so he could have had second he wanted to be on first and so what Dan Bracey should have done is gone back on the mound treated it like a lead put it out of his head forgotten the fact that like this is weird and like it didn't need to be fixed it's not Dan's responsibility to fix baseball and put things in its right place he could have just gone "Ah, that's where he wants to stand then he can stand there and pitched, and then presumably Pedrotti would have gone to second. There was a pickoff attempt earlier in the at-bat, so they were at least like somewhat trying to discourage mm-hmm. a stolen base, but basically they would have happily let him go to second, and that's what he should have done. But it was weird. It was too weird to let it go. <laughs> and like it, you know, like that, I think more than anything else, like the, the whole point of this play is that you don't think the other team can handle something they've never seen. And so they wanted to throw something that they'd never seen. And and like, truthfully, East Greenwich couldn't handle this thing they hadn't seen. It didn't cost them because they didn't fail to handle it far enough that a run scored. But they, like in a lot of ways, they, they did not stick to what should have been the plan. Mm-hmm. So this was brought to your attention by Dan Bracey himself, and this was a a controversial play. You spoke to many people on on either side, so now that more than a decade has passed since this happened, presumably you you interacted with Bracey first when you were conversing about this play. What was was his perspective on, uh, I I guess I shouldn't go into the ethics because nothing was wrong, but like, you know, a lot of... Fans were, the parents were screaming yeah. as this play was taking place. How did Dan Bracey feel about the uh, the sportsmanship of this attempt? Um, Almost attempt. 
at the time, Dan was, I think, was very mad. In the moment, he was extremely mad. Uh, and, like, there's a whole sort of epilogue, which is, like, the final twist to this story, which I guess we won't get into. Like, if people really want to find out what happened, they can read it. But, like, he was really mad at the time. In retrospect, he's not mad. He was really curious to know how, like, what they were thinking. Because to him and his teammates, and really to Portsmouth, the decision to call this play at that moment is really baffling. This was not an April game. This was the state championships. <laughs> they were like, like Portsmouth was 10 minutes away from winning the state championships, uh, which was even in, you know, even in a state like Rhode Island is still a pretty big deal. And, and, and like they, they talk about this among each other all the time. Like when he's with his teammates, when he gets back with you know with his teammates Thanksgiving or whatever, they talk about this play, and they don't like they know Portsmouth as like the other guys like on the other side of the state. They played them a lot, but like these are definitely like the other guy, the others, and they didn't really know what the motive was. They didn't know who called it. They didn't know where the play came from, and so it's always been this like really defining moment of their baseball careers that has been unexplained in a lot of ways. So he was very curious about it. And then, like, Portsmouth, in a lot of ways, is the same. They also <laughs> talk about this play amongst each other when they get back together a lot. And the team's coaches are, like, Facebook friends. And sometimes they will mention it. Or people will mention it. Like, if one responds to the other on Facebook about something totally different, someone will be like, remember that play? <laughs> so, like... Everybody, I think, remembers the play, but it hasn't really been, like, the origin of it hadn't, I, I don't think was widely known. The motive for it wasn't widely known. And I think that the coach who called it, I think his feelings about it weren't widely known. And it changes, whatever you think they were trying to do, I think that it helps to know how they felt it went so that you sort of understand, like, well... Uh, let me put it this way. When I talked to Dan, I thought, like, wow, the runner, bet he's a jerk. <laughs> you know, like, because you only have one side of the story. Right. And you're like, what's that kid doing? <laughs> like, And then even if you know that, like, okay, so maybe the coach called it and you go, well, that coach, bet he's a jerk. And then you talk to, to the runner and the coach. And, it, I mean, they're not, like, remotely jerks. Like, they had this idea about a play that... Uh, might work and it turned out differently than they expected it to and it but it was really i mean like there there was a there was definitely a a rational respectful competitive spirit throughout the whole thing that like probably neither side kind of realized that the other one had what do you think would happen if someone tried the portsmouth play in the majors or in a higher level of baseball I think they get tagged out immediately. <laughs> I mean, you can... I spent a, a little bit of time down on the field in my career. And first thing that jumps out at you about Major League Baseball players is their arms are insane. Like, <laughs> all of them have the best arm. Like, every infielder, their arms are incredible. Like, you just can't even imagine. <laughs> Unless you're, like, down close and you, like, see them warming up with each other. So, like, they're just so much more competent that, like, you just, you know, it just wouldn't work. I mean, you, I, yeah. I think that would, that would probably be bad. You'd probably get thrown at, too, right? This would be unwritten rules, violations, 
this would be bush league this would be high school ball <laughs> i guess would it would it depend on the person doing it or is it so seemingly if bush? It were, yeah ah. if it were someone who had a reputation for and like if it were i don't know like Joey Votto or someone like that who just was known for trying strange things or looking to break baseball in some way, maybe. But I think you'd mostly be made fun of, and I think that you'd be made fun of by everybody mm-hmm. so that no no retaliation would be needed. Uh-huh. Like you, you would just sort of be mocked, right? and that would be your punishment. I can see Beltre pulling it off. so you have johnny pedrotti on first base and he's he's looking in for a sign he thinks he sees the sign for this play this is a play they have not run of course they've practiced it they haven't run it they practiced it i think they practiced it once right i mean (laughs) and like a couple days earlier and they thought the team thought it was a like mostly the team thought like it was just a sort of a joke like they were running this fun play just like like it was like a like a trivial thing. Like the coach found a little loophole in the rules, and he was having a little fun and practice. They ran it once, and it worked. <laughs> and the coach was like, "See, it works." <laughs> well, I, so you you presumably know. I've forgotten the details, but there's there's the old story of like the the Soviet officer, like replacement officer, who thought that the U.S. had launched the nuclear warheads at Russia. Are you familiar with this story? And then right. his job was to report that the U.S. had fired nuclear warheads, and then Russia would retaliate. Uh-huh. And he and that was his entire job. He uh-huh. was like a fill-in, uh-huh. and uh, so he saw this on the instruments, and he thought, okay, it's nothing. And then he saw it again on the instruments in greater numbers, and he and he said, okay, it's probably nothing. Uh-huh. So he didn't report it up the chain, and it turned out to be. I think the idea was that it was it was light reflected off of clouds. Uh-huh. We did not we did not send nuclear warheads <laughs> to Russia. Yeah. And so by his by his not not having followed his his command, he thereby arguably saved saved the planet from yep. destruction. Yeah. So not not to draw too close a comparison between uh, nuclear warfare <laughs> and and a squirrel in the outfield play on a high school baseball skunk. Uh, championship game, but skunk. You, skunk. I'm sorry. Squirrel squirrel in the outfield happens regularly in seemingly St. Louis. Yeah. You have a skunk in the outfield play. You Johnny Pedrotti, You see, you think you see this sign? Yeah. But then he went through with it. Yeah. That's bold. That's a bold. I would if I if I were in that position, I would think I didn't. I know I didn't see that sign. I'm looking for that sign. I didn't see that sign. Yeah, it's it's interesting because he was young enough that he was you know he was like he trusted his coach. Now you might also take that same fact and say, well, he was young enough that he knows that he's fallible, right? Like maybe he missed the sign. Like he hasn't been playing that long. He doesn't. You know, he's only spent a year with his coach. Like he, it's clear. It's the first time he's ever seen this sign for sure, right? Nobody quite remembered what the sign was, but people vaguely recalled it being like a pretty clear sign. Like uh, somebody said that he thought it was that you he put his whole hand in front of his face like a mask, <laughs> which is like not a an, an uh, ambiguous sign. But it's not just that he had to decide whether he saw the sign. Like he didn't want to see the sign. He saw the sign. He knew he saw the sign. Like you can't like, like if you're Jonah and you're running away from Nineveh like you know that God told you right like he knew like <laughs> Jeff is looking at me like yeah of course Nineveh. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. so yeah I know the <laughs> Bible yeah so, anyway, uh, so he like knew that he had it but then he had to decide whether to do it and uh, he said that if he had gotten this as a senior he would never have done it he would have just taken the hit and like Ryan Westmoreland, who was his teammate and, and was a 
best player in like Rhode Island history set, uh, and who's dabbed as a coach on the teams that he would not have done it. Like under no circumstances would he have taken off. But other guys said, yeah, you know, like I'd have done it. Especially if they were sophomores. They said if they were sophomores, they definitely would have done it. So um, like it, it, it's kind of a bummer. This is not a play. This is a play. Okay, so let me, before I say why it's a bummer. This is a play that people have like, on memories of now like it's a everybody got something out of that tournament uh, again not trying to give away like the, the whole ending but everybody got something from that tournament that was pretty special in their life and, and everybody kind of remembers that play specifically as a big moment that happened to them and only them and they were really like kind of it was mostly good memories about it but at the time it was miserable like everybody hated it you know they went home that night like in varying degrees of displeasure. It was not a happy time. And it was particularly tough because like Johnny Pedrotti, the sophomore, the youngest kid on the team, who didn't quite know what to do, who didn't know the rules, who had, uh, who had no idea what he was supposed to do because he had never he had never practiced this play. And, and he's, again, like he's the youngest player. It's like if you're going to put that on anybody, it's sort of a shame that it, it had to be put on the sophomore. Pedrotti, on the other hand, though, he might have been the only player on the team who would have been like, there's the sign, I'm doing this, because he was young. Because, you know, that's what you do when you're the youngest kid on the team. You, you follow the rules, you follow the sign. One of the, the fun things about it is that, so we're talking about Pedrotti seeing the sign, believing that he saw the sign, and then going forward with the play. It seems like you could also just decide as a base runner, I don't care if I didn't see the sign, I'm going to do the play. Yeah, because you can just take off, and uh-huh. all of a sudden you sort of entrap the runner on third. He's participating in the play now. This is a play that, in theory, you could just do whenever. You don't need. You don't even need to see the sign. And you know, if the if the danger is you just retreat to first, there's see there's it's the anti the story that uh, that happened if Pedrotti hadn't seen the sign mm-hmm. but just decided to do it. Yeah, I realize this isn't a question. This is a poor question. <laughs> okay. I have no further questions. Do you, I've uh, I don't know if I ever talked about it on this show, but I've written about it a lot as. Like this is like one of my go-to examples when it comes to issues of unwritten rules and what's um, bush and and what's not. But Ben, do you know what I'm going to talk about? I don't think so. The stanky play. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We've talked about that. I, I yeah. think at some point, but yeah. So the stanky play is uh, in like the I think the late '40s. Eddie Stanky uh, was a second baseman, and um, the batter sort of like asked the umpire, "Hey, could you move over like two steps? You know, you're like right." And the umpire's like, short thing. And Eddie Stanky goes, light bulb, and goes and stands right where the umpire was, right? Because <laughs> if the um, the batter's bothered by it, and I'm allowed to stand there, I'm going to bother him. And so he does this a little bit. The guys are like, dude, come on, Eddie. <laughs> and then Eddie Stanky is like, ah, you know what else I'm allowed to do? I'm allowed to do this. And he stands right behind the pitcher. They're watching me. You're not watching me. He stands right behind the pitcher. And when the pitcher goes into his motion, Eddie Stanky goes into his motion and starts delivering pitches, right? Right behind the pitcher in the batter's line of vision. Totally legal. The umpires are like, uh, it's just you've got to stop. Uh, there's no rule, but you've just got to stop. And Eddie agrees to stop. But then he, uh, something happens later in the game or later in the series where I think he like slides into third and the third baseman like gets up and like starts like jawing at him like for sliding in too hard or something. Does something to make Eddie Stinky really mad. And so Eddie's like, well, hey, if you're going to be a jerk, 
then I'm going to go back to being like the guy <laughs> behind the mound. So like clearly there's an aggressiveness to this tactic in his mind. So he goes back to doing that and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't even, like, I think that they changed the rules. They did, yeah, pretty quickly. Like I that, think. Yeah, yeah, I think that he, I think they found some, like, totally made up reason to eject him for something else and then they changed the rules. And <laughs> but anyway, the point is that, like, nobody listens to that story and is like, you know who's the hero? <laughs> Eddie Stanky. <laughs> like, you just, the like, it's, the, as Russell Carlton put it one time, like, there's something that Americans just find distasteful about trying too hard. Sometimes, and I think that if a base runner did that on his own, I think he would find no allies, even if it worked. And I mean, honestly, the coach found like that he didn't really have any allies, and the coach midway through is like, "Oh man, shouldn't have done that." Uh, and I don't know why. I mean, partly it's the pressure, the peer pressure of unwritten rules, but partly it's just. It's just embarrassing to do something weird that doesn't work because mm-hmm. then you're Eddie Stanky. Uh, the, so the coach, uh, I, this wasn't in the article, but the coach who called this, he brought up a play that you, you sometimes, you might you might have seen this. A few years ago, some team did this in basketball. I think a couple teams have done it since where it's an inbound play. And as you're inbounding the ball, one of your guys drops to the ground and starts barking like a dog (laughs) and everybody stops and looks at him and like loses the guy they're defending and you have like an open man who like shoots Mm. and makes the basket it's like the a-rod yelling ha and a pop-up kind of it's kind of like that but you're barking like a dog (laughs) and you're and like the key thing too i think is that you're not only barking like a dog but you are a child who has been told to bark like a dog by a grown-up who has decided that he can psychologically manipulate other children which is like there's again there's like something about trying too hard that we find distasteful so the coach was like i mean i know that's a bush play like i i like i don't want to be that guy right and in a way like all of this stuff is negotiating like the question of whether you're that guy and the uh, uh, the whole idea of unwritten rules is trying to convince you that you're being that guy so that you won't mm-hmm. do the thing that is in your best interest like it is trying to force you to water down your own tactics so this was all a about whether Johnny Pedrotti could have done it on his own, but you didn't ask a question, so I don't have to answer it. <laughs> Do you think Johnny Pedrotti should have done it on his own? Uh, I think that Johnny Pedrotti should have done it again. <laughs> uh, after he went back to first, when Dan Bracey got back on the mound, he should have gone and done it again. Something would have changed. So Something would have changed. Dan Bracey, I think, had like the best description of this entire process, where he, he said... It's like an Andy Kaufman routine, but he didn't do it long enough. He did it long mm. enough that you got mad, but not long enough that the joke kicked in. Mm-hmm. And two and a half minutes wasn't long enough. <laughs> <laughs> he could have done it for 40 minutes, right? And yeah. then what? Yeah. <laughs> and then what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He's running further into the outfield. He could have. Just take one little step. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Well, my delayed flight home has been canceled while we recorded this podcast, <laughs> so I've had to figure out how to get home. Go or, or I might be a, a permanent Portland resident. Yeah. So uh, I should figure that out. But we wanted to talk while we were all in one place for once. So uh, I'm glad we did. Thanks for uh, podcasting, pals. Sam's <laughs> already not paying attention to the podcast. <laughs> it's over. All right. We will end there. All right. I should mention that two pieces of possible interest to you are up on the ringer now. I recapped our Eclipse event, and we also published my Salina Stockade story. So you can go check those out now. I've linked them both in the Facebook group. You can also support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Five listeners who have already pledged their support include Daniel Watkins, Tony Allen, Aaron Gardner, Craig, and Melissa Scroggs. Thanks to all of you. You can join the aforementioned Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Keep your questions and comments coming via email for me and Jeff at podcast at fangraphs.com or via the Patreon messaging system. We'll be sure to do an email show if and when I ever make it home. Thanks to all of you who came out to the Eclipse event. Thanks to Meg Rowley and Patrick Dubuque from Baseball Prospectus for helping us. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for helping us at the event and also for helping edit this episode. If you're looking for something else to listen to michael bauman and i have a new episode of the ringer mlp show up we did a bunch of banter and we talked to rj anderson our pal from cbs sports about the growing information gap between teams and agents and the future of labor relations in mlb you can find that on the ringer mlb show feed and we will be back on the effectively wild feed very soon i'm always looking for